thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Thank you, Ryan. We thank also our worship team who led us so well to worship the Lord through song. I hope you kept your place in the book of Second Peter. If you didn't, please regain it because today we're going to be looking in some detail, actually quite a bit of detail at this section of Scripture, limiting our emphasis today on just the first two verses of Second Peter. You may wonder why have I chosen this text. The reason is because there is a parallel between the condition of the church, the environment of the church, and our condition today. Yesterday, I received a call unexpected from one of my cousins, older than I, lives in Middle Tennessee, and he and his wife called me just to check in with me to see how I was doing. They had heard about the spike in COVID-19 in El Paso on national news, and they were checking in with me. In the course of conversation, I sensed that they were discouraged. They were somewhat fearful as well. And it caused me to reflect on how we as believers are not immune to discouragement, nor are we immune to fear. However, we are people who have within us the person who conquered death. It is He who takes our anxiety away from us when we come to Him as He beckons us to cast our burdens upon Him. And He promises that He will care for us. He'll take the brunt of those kinds of emotions, disappointment, discouragement, fear that plague us at this particular time. Those to whom Peter wrote this second epistle were people who are having a quite a bit of trouble in their lives. They had trouble on the outside. It was as though they were under attack. Their adversary, the devil, was like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's the way Peter speaks of it in this first epistle to the same group of people. And those who were attacking the church were people who were many times related to the government itself. If you know anything about the reign of Nero, who was the reigning emperor at the time that these letters were written, you know that he was a vicious opponent. He scapegoated Christians, blaming them for the burning of Rome, and many of them died as a result, being burned in the garb of animals who had been killed and they were lit on fire after having been tarred and feathered, as it were. There was problem, the problem brewing within the church too. That problem was the problem of false teachers and the fallout of that false teaching. The false teachers were saying that the knowledge that they had as believers was not enough. They needed more knowledge And it was a secret kind of knowledge that was the private venue of these false teachers. And people had to come to them 
to get the right formula for understanding. So, we'll see as we work our way through the book of Second Peter in coming weeks how Peter addresses this group of people and address, addresses those who are within trying to tear the church apart. Our world is in an uproar because of many factors, not the least of which is the COVID-19 in the United States. Our election drags on and on in terms of results, and this creates instability in our emotions many times, and anger at times, and fear at times, discouragement. But we need to know that we have the one who can bring peace into any situation in which we find ourselves. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, My peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you, do I give to you. So let not your heart be troubled. Believe in me. Trust me. Do not be afraid, is what the Lord Jesus Christ Himself says. The problem in the world is directly related to the internal problems of the church of Jesus Christ. We who know Jesus are to give a living demonstration of what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Over time, in my own history, which is brief compared to the history of our country and our world, but what I have discovered is there's been this erosion of a kind of faith that will cause people to want to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I'm talking about the faith of Christ in us as we trust Jesus to produce His life through us. The answer to the problems in the world are the answers to be found in one foundation. And that is the foundation of the truth represented in the Word of God, the truth represented in Jesus, who by His own description calls Himself as the truth. And we look to Jesus Christ and we look to the gospel. The gospel of God is the answer. What God wants of us as a church is to be a church that exhibits the very nature of Jesus Christ. I'd like to read a portion of a letter that was written by a man named Aristides, who was a reporter of events in the Roman emperor's Hadrian's reign. Sometime between 117 and 138 A.D., barely into the second century A.D., listen to what he wrote about the believers in Jesus Christ who were under great pressure, I might add, within and without. Listen to what he wrote. They love one another. They never fail to help widows. They save orphans from those who would hurt them. If they have something, they give freely to the man who has nothing. If they see a stranger, they take him home and are happy as though he were a real brother. They don't consider themselves brothers in the usual sense, but brothers instead through the Spirit in God. What a statement. Written by a man who was not a follower of Christ to the non-believing Adrian, Hadrian rather, who was the emperor. So what we want to do today, when we look at how we are to address the situation in the church first, because as the church goes, so goes the nation or the world, really. And then we'll see how that has an impact on the world.
So we're going to focus on the gospel. The gospel has one focus, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. In this passage of Scripture, you see Jesus is the central figure. Three times Jesus is mentioned. His formal name, Jesus Christ, twice, and then finally simply as Jesus. We are told, if you'll look at this passage of Scripture, in verse 1, read it again, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. This is obviously a statement by Peter, who knew Jesus extremely well as a man, and came to know Him as his Lord and his Savior. But he saw him and knew him as God. He saw that Jesus was God become man. In the opening remarks of the Apostle John's letter, the first one, he talks about Jesus as the word of life. We have seen him. We have touched him. We have heard him. He talks about this man who was God in the flesh. And Jesus Christ is the central figure. He is our Savior. You will recall, perhaps, when Joseph, the foster father of Jesus, was getting ready to protect this little boy who was going to be born of Mary. The angel came to him and told him, You shall call his name Jesus, because he will take away the sins of his people. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he sensed that this was indeed the one he had been preparing the world for. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is God in the form of a man, fully God, fully man. But Jesus is our Savior. He is the one who takes away our sin. It is A gospel, as we look at this passage a little more carefully in verse 1, which is not a gospel of man, it is God's gospel. Maybe you know that Paul, in introducing the book of Romans, talks about the gospel being God's gospel. What that means is it was God's idea. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit conspired to develop the plan of salvation, which centered in the person of Jesus Christ. So let's look a little more carefully at verse 1 one more time. We'll review it even further later. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word received in the English Standard Version, as we heard it read earlier, is translated obtained. And that is a good translation to a degree. Literally, what the word means, obtained by lot. In other words, the casting of lots. And when this talks about our having received a faith like Peter's and the other apostles and other people who were descendants of Abraham, what is spoken of here is not something that involves any merit on the part of anybody who is saved by Jesus Christ. There's nothing that we can contribute to our salvation. It's all the work of God. It 
is no accident, but it has nothing to do with our effort. It has everything to do with the grace of God that is mentioned. As Peter writes in verse 2, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. The word grace, we know, means unmerited favor, love that stoops. It's the very important word that has to be a part of our understanding if we're going to be people who are the recipients of the work of Christ for our salvation. The last part of verse 1 talks about this work, the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. What is referred to, do you suppose here, this righteousness? Well, Jesus Christ is described in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 as our righteousness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible says that God the Father made Jesus the Son who was perfect. Perfect because He was God, but perfect in His humanity. He made Him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf in order that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. So this faith obtained by the work of God, all God's doing, was that which Peter had experienced and also the apostles and the gospel which the apostles taught and later put into written form in what we now know as the New Testament. And so the Scripture is very clear here. The righteousness that we have is not a righteousness of our own making. It is God's righteousness that is expressed in the person of Jesus Christ, His Son, in our Savior. So the focus of the gospel is simply one person the person of Jesus Christ. John Stott put it this way, Jesus Christ is the center of Christianity. Everything else is circumference. Christ is the one we look to. It is He who is our Savior. And when we understand that, we respond properly to that, and we share that gospel, which is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. The result will be there will be a difference that begins to permeate our own lives. But not only that, it will begin to permeate our community and our city and our state, our region, our world. And we pray that God would work in His church, known as Coronado Baptist Church, but His church worldwide, that there would be a great movement of the Spirit of God to make us men and women who are concentrating on the person of Jesus Christ making Him the central figure of our lives, orienting our lives around Him. The next thing that comes from this passage of Scripture, in addition to the fact that the focus of the gospel is Jesus Christ, is that the fruit of the gospel is a changed life or are changed lives. Why do I say that? Well, look at the way in which this letter is introduced. It's the only one of the several epistles in the New Testament where the author uses two names to introduce himself. Understand that the Holy Spirit's the one who moved in this man, Simon Peter, to write this letter. So there's no accidents as far as the wording or the things that are said, the ideas that are conveyed by the words Simon Peter. Why Simon Peter? Well, if you know anything about Peter, 
before he came to know Jesus Christ, he was a rather unstable person. Simon was his given name. Actually, some of the translations give you the name Simeon Peter, and that probably is closer to what he would have first written. It was his Hebrew name. You may remember when Andrew, his brother, met Jesus, what did Andrew do? He found his brother and he brought him to Jesus. He told him, we have found the Messiah. And Peter followed him to meet Jesus. And when Jesus saw Andrew bringing Peter to him, he said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which translated means Peter. Jesus was looking through bifocals, if you will. He saw him as he was, Simeon. He saw him as a man who was self-centered, who was a rough and tumble character, a man who was impetuous, a man which was, who was anything but a stable person. And then he gave him a new name. He looked through the bottom part of his lens, spiritually as it were, and saw what he would become. It took a while for that to happen. We know that. But we see the great change. This is what happens to us as followers of Jesus Christ. This way in which Peter blesses those to whom he wrote this letter, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Actually, it's a prayer. He was praying that for them. And grace and peace, so important. Aren't you glad that we have the peace of God that passes all understanding when we know Jesus? Unbelievable. We can have peace in the middle of any storm, whether it's a personal storm or a national storm. We can have peace in the middle of that because we have the Prince of Peace with us, but more so in us. And He is full of grace and truth. We have everything we need in the person of Jesus Christ. It's awesome to think about that. And we also understand that the New Testament listen carefully, knows nothing of a profession of faith in Jesus that does not result in a change of nature and behavior. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. Do you understand that the proof of your being a follower of Jesus Christ is a new nature. It's invariable. When I talk to people, when they receive Christ, and I begin to listen to them, I'm meeting with some people now who are relatively newborn in Christ, and I just marvel when I listen to them pray. I say, would you pray as we finish our time? And they pray, and their prayer is so intimate with the Lord and so childlike in the sense that they have faith in the Lord that is not jaded by the world. Quite a turnaround in these people's lives. Why? Because there's been a transformation in them. Let's look at some of the ways in which Simon Peter describes himself. First, he calls himself a bond servant. The word bond servant is a word which better translates into the word slave. 
He said, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. Do you remember when Jesus went with his apostles to a place called Caesarea Philippi? It was really a beautiful place to go just to rest. And in that process, Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? And then one answer was given, another answer was given, and then Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. To which Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Simon Peter. The Lord has revealed it to you. And then Jesus proceeded to talk about what lay ahead for him. He talked about how he was going to be rejected by the elders and the scribes and the chief priests. He talked about how they were going to kill him. And then how he would be raised again on the third day after his death. And you may remember that Simon Peter pulled Jesus aside and he began to rebuke Jesus. He didn't just rebuke him one time. The tense of the verb suggests he did it over and over and over again. The very audacity of this man. He was rebuking the Lord God Himself. Jesus knew that the other eleven apostles were eavesdropping on this rebuking session that He was receiving from Simon Peter. And then, do you know what He said? Get behind me, Satan. Here's a man who had made this huge declaration that Jesus really applauded, indicating that God had shown him that. And then in the next few moments, he turned around and played into the hands of Satan. But this is what Jesus said to him. Satan rebuke you because you are interested not in God's interests, but in the interests of man. That is characteristic of people before they come to know Jesus. Even religious people. They're interested in the things of man as it relates to religion. The things of the world, not the things of God. What were God's interests? God was interested in His Son, Jesus Christ, going to the cross, dying a bloody death on the cross to pay the sins of mankind. That is the gospel, isn't it? Christ died for our sins. He was buried, and on the third day, He was raised again. So we see this man who, being a bondservant, would result in his becoming a man of humility, not a man of audacity, not a proud man. Prior to his coming to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior, Peter was a proud man. So proud that he took it upon himself to correct Jesus of all things at Caesarea Philippi. A bondservant. That's you and I. If we know Jesus, like those to whom Peter wrote this letter, we are called to be bondservants. How do we know that? The Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians 6, What do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You know, we don't belong to ourselves. We have been bought 
by the blood of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, it talks about the precious blood of Jesus Christ is that which purchased our salvation. The blood of Christ means His life. Jesus gave His life so that we could have eternal life. Certainly, He came to set us free. That's what Jesus says in more than one place. And He says it probably best when He's teaching in a synagogue. And He says, I have come to set the captives free. Who's our captor before Jesus comes to set us free? It is none other than the devil himself. The whole world lies under the control of the evil one. And when Christ comes, he comes to set us free. Praise God that he does that. But that does not mean that we have no one to answer to. We are set free to know and love the Lord and do the Lord's bidding. We are owned by him. Do you know in Christ's day, a slave had no rights of his or her own. What the master said, the slave was bound to do. Also, slaves were unquestioningly obedient. When the master said to do something, you didn't object. You didn't offer an alternative action. You did what the master said because you belonged to that master. I remember over 30 years ago now watching the movie The Princess Bride. Did any of you see The Princess Bride? If you saw it once, you probably saw it many times. It's one of those movies that's sort of a, it's really a, I don't know what the word would be, but it's looked at over and over again. And my favorite character in the movie is Wesley. You remember who Wesley was, right? And when Buttercup, the princess, would say something to him, he would just respond with three words, as you wish. And she kind of liked that. She was not the best mistress a man who was a slave could have. As I reflect on what he was really saying, this is actually what he was saying. I'm yours, and all I have is yours. I'm fully attentive to you. That's what it means to be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. To be a person who obeys the Lord without question. There's a saying that is used by people who counsel people who are struggling in a relationship or struggling with something in their lives. And it goes like this. Feelings follow actions. You may not feel like submitting to Jesus Christ. But that's beside the point. If you are His, you are responsible to Him to do what He says and not with a griping, complaining attitude. This is what a true bondservant of Jesus Christ would say to Jesus. And by the way, this is the plea of the Word of God. To us. We are to be bondservants. It's not just a plea, it's a command. We are to be servants of the Lord. We're to serve the Lord with gladness, is what the Bible says, not with a, a sour puss attitude. We are to serve the Lord with gladness. 
What do you want me to do? Is what the servant of the Lord would say. Where do you want me to go? Is that part of your thinking? If you are a child of God, that is what you've been called to be. A servant. A bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the potential in a church, in this room that I'm speaking in? There are probably about ten of us here. If we ten, the ten of us are here, two, four, six, eight, ten, eleven. There are eleven of us here. If we were people who saw ourselves as we should see ourselves as bondservants of Jesus Christ, and we submitted to Him, we say, Lord, what do you want us to be? That's foundational. What do you want us to be in our nature, in our character? And by the way, He doesn't leave it up to us to sort of figure out what that looks like. He comes and indwells us by His Spirit, and then His Spirit moves us to do as He would have us to do, especially as we expose ourselves to the Bible and listen to what the truth is in God's Word. God would change the world from a place like this. A place in the United States. The only time we get on TV or the media is when there's some kind of catastrophe here, right? People think El Paso is a jumping off place in the United States of America, if not the world. A lot of people like that. But it's a place that God dwells. He dwells in us. He wants to use us to honor Himself, to forward the gospel. Here's another thing, last thing I'll mention about a bondservant. Never off duty. Wow. Give me a break, Lord. I'm working, 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 working. Give me a break. You ever feel like that? Well, what we need to understand is if we understand what God wants of us, what Jesus calls us to, He's come to set us free. And He's called us to be set free from ourselves. Our biggest enemy is internal. It's what the Bible calls the flesh. And the Lord gives us the opportunity. There's nothing more freeing than knowing the Lord. We'll talk about that in a moment. But beyond that, serving the Lord with a heart of joy and appreciation. Never off duty. God doesn't even owe us a thank you. Many times we do things and we think we, are, we deserve a thank you from the Lord through somebody or maybe directly in our heart. But the Lord doesn't even promise that. If we had time, we would look at Luke 17, 7 through 10, where Jesus addresses this subject. But we know that we are to be bondservants. Humility is the hallmark of the Apostle Paul. Peter, excuse me, after he came to know Jesus and he began to walk with Jesus. Did he walk perfectly with the Lord? No, he didn't. He fell along the way, but the Lord picked him back up. Here's the other thing that Peter says about himself. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ. That speaks of dignity, but I don't believe that's really the main idea that was in the mind of Peter and the Holy Spirit. It's really a matter of equality within the body of Christ. So let's revisit verse 1 a third time. Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle. The word apostle is one sent 
with authority, with the message of Jesus Christ to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. In other words, he's saying, hey, look, you may think you're nobody, but think again. Because I and the other apostles came to know God through Jesus Christ the same way you have. It was by the grace of God that we came to know Jesus and we become part of the family of God. Nothing that we did. It's a righteousness. It's not our own. It's a righteousness which was given to us in the person of Jesus Christ based upon His perfect righteousness and the price which He paid for our sins. And so what He is saying here is that you who were no people... He says this in 1 Peter, by the way, chapter 2, verse 10. He says, you were no people, but now you are the people of God. That's what happens. There is dignity, certainly in being an apostle, but the bigger dignity for Paul, Peter, or anyone else is to be found in being a child of God. And every one of us who knows Jesus has that same Blessing. There is equality in the body of Christ. It's so beautiful to think about who we are in Christ. One other thing about the change. Peter had a change in terms of the way he looked at people. He treated people differently. He was humble, but he was also one who saw himself on an equal basis with them. If we were to go back to 1 Peter chapter 5, he talks about his being a fellow elder, not the head of the church, not even the chief elder anywhere. A fellow elder, a fellow shepherd is what he was. And he didn't think too highly of himself at all. He saw him as one saved by grace. And in Acts chapter 15, you're probably familiar with that passage. It's the... Description by Luke of the first church council trying to determine what role would Gentiles who had become followers of Christ play? Were they going to be on equal standing with those descendants of Abraham? Or were they going to be inferior? And what James, the brother of Jesus, said in introducing, he was presiding over that council. And he introduced it by saying, Simon Peter... And in that verse of Scripture, it's the only other time that Simon Peter's name come together in one place in the New Testament. For good reason. Because, remember, Peter reluctantly and then finally willingly did the bidding of Christ as his bondservant. He went to a man named Cornelius, who was a centurion, a Gentile, and he brought the gospel to him. And he's recorded as having said in the book of Acts 15, through the words of James, the brother of Jesus, he was recorded as saying, the Gentiles are a people who bear God's name too. It's wonderful to think, isn't it? What Christ does, He equalizes everything. The real answer to problems between different ethnic groups in America and in the world is not to be found in forcing things on people. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the key that will unlock the door. If we will be bondservants of Jesus, if we will be people who treat people 
as equals. And in the Scriptures, there is a strong suggestion that we're to consider others better than ourselves. That would do a world of good, wouldn't it? Not just in the church, but in the world. We're to be salt and light. The third thing, though, about this man, Peter, is the idea of intimacy with the Lord. He was in a close relationship with Jesus. And verse 2 says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. The word for knowledge is the strongest possible word available to Peter to describe knowledge. It's not intellectual knowledge, although it would include some of that sort of knowledge. The word literally means a completely full knowledge. The word has a prefix to it, and the prefix suggests movement towards or direction toward someone or something, toward this knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ. How important is it that we know Jesus Christ? Well, it's ultimately important. The Bible says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This word speaks not of intellectual knowledge. It speaks of intimacy. It speaks of relationship. When Paul speaks of his own faith in 1 Timothy 1.12, he says, I know what I have believed and am sure that he to whom I entrusted it will guard it, this deposit, until that day. That's not what it says really, is it? I hope you caught that. He says, I know whom I have believed. He had a relationship with Jesus. He knew Him in the flesh, but He knew Him in the Spirit also. And each one of us has that capacity. If we know Christ, He came to be friends with us, not just to have us as His bondservants. We are that, but also to befriend us. He said as much to Peter and the other apostles after Judas had betrayed him and had left the upper room. He says, No longer do I call you slaves, for a slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For the things which I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. Peter, I have made known to you. And John and James and Matthew, right around the circle, he would have said that to all of them. And it's true for us too. It's a full knowledge. He has that kind of relationship with us and wants that from us. We're to continue to grow in that knowledge. If you'll just turn the page of your Bible to the last verse of this great epistle, the 18th verse of the third chapter, the last thing that Peter exhorts those to whom he wrote this letter to do. Look what it says. Grow. And the idea is keep on growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what we're called to. I think there is warrant for saying that this growth will continue when we leave this world. We're with the Lord in heaven. We'll continue to grow. He's infinite. We will be there. We'll keep on growing in intimacy with God as time unfolds.
So let's go back and reread the passage together as we wind up our time together today. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. This speaks of the humility of Peter. And by association, how we are to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that in due time He may exalt us. Humility is a hallmark of a believing person and a believing people. And then also equality. Because to those who have obtained by lot a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. What is wrong with the world? Well, we know what it is. It's sin, isn't it? That's the problem. Rebellion against God. But what is wrong with the world in terms of why it has not changed? We as the church need to be the church. We need to care for each other in the body. We need to care for people outside the body. We need to give an example, and more than an example, we need to verbalize the love of God to people in the gospel. And the result of that will be that there will be renewal in our local bodies all over the country, but there will be renewal in our communities. And God will respond by the Spirit to change the world for His glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the opportunity to worship You today. We thank You for this passage and what we learn about the importance of the Gospel and how this book, Second Peter, will help us to be the church as You intended us to be. We do pray for the Church of Christ in El Paso. Bring a revival in every church where Christ is truly central in the hearts of those who make them up. And it would be enticing. It would draw people to Christ when they see and hear of what You're doing in people just like them. We pray for the church in America and all over the world, Lord. We are in difficult times, but we know that in difficult times, You stand strongest by our side. We claim the promise of Your Word that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but You, Lord, deliver us out of them all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you.